Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hunters After Buzz TV After Show. Uh, we are just going through these final episodes, so let's jump right back in with episode nine, the great old Nazi cookout of 77. I'm your host, Kevin Allen, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Miss Haley Gray. Hello, my beautiful people. We are back. We are rolling. And guys, this episode was a beauty going with its title. It just, I got to tell you, I, it literally just occurred to me as you said the title name being the great old Nazi cookout of 77. Because you know when you're watching the show, like, I don't really pay attention to titles, which I mean, I should because they all have some relevance. And this one, it's funny because a lot of Nazis get cooked. Quite literally <laughs> and it just I, like it just went off like it was a cookout not for cooking but for quite literally a lot of them yeah uh same here because going into the episode i was like okay it's another like fourth of july backyard barbecue <laughs> uh most of the episode titles have been like quotes uh or yeah like part like episode they, yeah they make more like direct sense and this mm-hmm. one was much more theoretical sense i guess you yeah. could say. i kept waiting for someone to say this line and i was like no that's not it if they called it the great old nazi deep fry of 77 maybe i would have caught oh my gosh <laughs> that would have been funny too okay uh, it's not like funny that this have like what happens to people but the you know the punniness of it is kind of cool. yeah it's it's uh thoughtful humor irony yeah <laughs> there's a word for it Anyway, this episode starts uh, with the, the kind of fun, flashbacky, uh, dramatic portrayals that we they drop into every one of these episodes with this uh, Operation Paperclip meeting. Uh, it, it's black and white. It's got the dramatic lighting. It's to me, it was very uh, Doctor Strangelove kind of thing. Around you know all these generals around a round table. Uh, but as it went on, I realized, oh, maybe this isn't them doing the fun. B movie TV show thing. I think this is just what happened. Yeah, I was more convinced than ever watching this show that the writers here know something. That the writers of the hunters like <laughs> have some secret documents somewhere that they're like trying to reveal secrets to all of us watching this show. And if they had a flashing red sign, this scene was it because I was sitting there watching like holy shit, this, this happened. Like they've, yeah. they've been alluding to it this whole time. You know, we've had just this patience of watching this. I not but... alluding. They've been like straight up telling us. <laughs> That's true. Like, like... That, that commercial for Huntsville, Alabama or whatever, they're like, yeah, <laughs> this really happened. Like they're just putting it out there now. Very true. Like so much so that you're like, okay, there's no way they're telling us this, this directly. Like, no, definitely not. But they well, are. After discovering that, uh, Warner Von Braun was a real person who was an, a later American uh, space engineer. Like, uh, like, oh, they're 
this isn't based on nothing that's for sure yeah. uh guys but, if if you're watching us what like kevin was just talking about on make sure you watch the after show right before this for episode eight because he gave so many really amazing nuggets and news about this time period and the fact that the people that they're talking about in hunters were actually real humans that existed same names everything so like a revelation. <laughs> but we're gonna focus more on the dramatic events uh this wonderful fictional narrative that they are <laughs> building for us for entertainment value uh we're gonna get into uh millie and ousting her superior we're gonna have travis joining up with his superior and we're gonna close our discussion with Lonnie's best role ever. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about that. But before we do, I wanna hear your overall thoughts on the episode, Haley. This episode was beautiful. It feels like we've just had so much patience as all of these wonderful storylines have been beautifully written. And it's like, we're finally coming to this point that it's like, holy smokes, a lot of issues happening very fast stay like basically buckle in because we're going for the best ride right now in this yes. episode was starting that yeah no it absolutely was uh i love a good heist movie and <laughs> i definitely got that kind of vibe toward the end there uh but before then it was just a lot of really good drama some very suspenseful stuff some very um tense like thriller kind of scenes with uh, Millie. Uh, we failed to discuss her last episode. I really wanted to because yeah. she had a great scene with her mother uh, imparting some wisdom about matters of the heart and love, just shy of getting to talk to Maria. So uh, really good stuff for her character. It just wasn't the meat of the episode, yeah. but uh, she is now a member of the team. She has joined the Hunters or at least put a pause on hunting them to deal with the larger matter at hand. Yes. So now that she's with the team and working alongside them, uh, she's bringing them information uh, to help uh, try to connect some more dots and recognizes the name of Carmel Offy. Yep. So she brings that back to her base and has her connections, which are now an asset for the team, which is great since they've lost the arc. And she discovers it's her boss. I thought that it, this was super um, intriguing, especially because mm. um, she just joins the team and she's almost still having to prove herself to them because she's definitely not welcomed. They don't have their arms open wide, bringing yeah. her into the fold. They're very Roxy much- certainly gave her a distrusting look it, as, she, as soon as she walked in. Exactly. So they have their reservations about her for obvious reasons. You know, she mm -hmm. quite literally works for the, has the job she does. So, but the fact that she can so directly help right away, the only thing that I, if I was a member of the group, I also would have had issues with the fact that she kind of went rogue here. You know, she yeah. didn't tell them, hey, I know exactly who this is. Let me figure this out. Let me take this one on. Let me go follow this lead. Like she basically used them for the information they had, found a piece that she needed, and then she went on her own path with it. And so I kind of didn't like that aspect of it. Well, and you had, you had mentioned that you were a little skeptical of her boss to begin with. Yep. That you didn't know whether to trust him. And I was like, well, he's kind of doing his diligence. So I guess I took what she did because she I thought she had mentioned that she knew who it was. 
So I think she just, I think she said that, I think it was more like she recognized the name and kind of was like, I recognize his name, but I don't know where I know it from. And then I think she kind of took it upon herself to figure that out. And yeah. Yeah. She did the FBI agent thing of going back and using her information to connect some dots and build a case before she makes any accusations. Once she had realized that her suspicions or hypothesis was correct, she, I think it was a more personal matter for her. So rather than calling the backup and have these renegades who don't know the the personal nature of that this is her boss who she had trusted with this case, yeah, maybe she just wanted to reason with him, maybe, and hope that if they kept it between the two of them, he would come quietly. I guess I kind of, I guess I kind of would have preferred her to just kind of be like, "Hey guys." Like, like if you're going to be a part of a team, accept the role of being a team player, you know, you can't have one foot in the door and one foot out. And that's just kind of where it seems she is right now. Like she quite literally is having her cake and eating it too. She's getting all the information that she needs for her case by working with the hunters, but then she also has her own agenda that she's pursuing and she's just kind of using them. So, um, I just didn't necessarily like that aspect of it. But then again, it also revealed a lot more about her character and that she is kind of continuously being a little more self-serving through all of this. Um, And so, but it still served to be interesting. I still, at the same time, while I felt conflicted about why she was doing it, I still was kind of like, all right, like you go do your thing. Like you're going to go run up on your boss and figure some shit out. Like you go do you girl. You know what I mean? Like I was still proud of her at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I love that because she came in with like, I mean, she was a force to be reckoned with. She came in there. She is done with all this nonsense. Yeah. Uh, I loved watching Biff like try to scoot out the door and she's like, don't think I don't realize what you like. <laughs> I don't see you. Like she is Man, over dealing I, with people. We haven't like, because I mean, I mean, I obviously come on late on the panel, but like, if you knew my thoughts about Biff, like I cannot stand this freaking dude. I think he is the slimiest snake in the grass. Like he oh, just, absolutely. even him just like, no offense to the dude as a human, but like, even just looking at him. like Oh, just, Dylan Baker, you mean? Yes. Like <laughs> it makes my skin crawl. Like I oh, just don't like everything about his character. I'm just so out on. So every time he's in a scene, I'm like, oh what is what does this guy want what is he doing now like it's just but he provides comic relief so you know yeah and that's I I've gone back and forth if you've seen the episodes I discussing him I'm like (laughs) I hate him for two reasons one he is an absolute uh untrustworthy snake in the grass who will murder anybody including his old family in cold blood he's a detestable mongrel of a human and two he's the cheesiest damn person on the face of the planet and he's full of so much corn-fed bullcrap that yep. I don't know how everyone else is falling for it just like when he when he does his like charming southern gentleman thing I'm like ah you're just uh your terrible acting makes me hate you so wait much. and this one okay so now that you bring that up we can keep talking about this whole scene like pretty much like yes the gist she's like aha gotcha basically you lying piece of ish and she like ends up telling her uh, superior like handcuff yourself whatever but i'm gonna come back for you yeah what i'm gonna get to is what i think is so actually i kind of thought she was setting him up 
Like I thought she was going to be like, Hey, you're going to handcuff yourself here and deal with when authorities and whatever get here and they're going to find your ass here. And so I thought she was kind of setting him up, but the real part that was hilarious to me was once she's in the car with Biff and Biff just drops his like country bumpkin accent. And all of a sudden he's back to being German. I was like, how does someone just shut that off? It's kind of like country artists who are Australian and they sing uh, and are like amazing, just like sing in perfect English. It just, same thing blows my mind. Like I was like, oh yeah, whoa. That, that Florida, Georgia drawl, but they're like, yeah, they're from Australia. I'm like, what, what is this? Keith Urban. <laughs> Didn't want to name any names. But <laughs> um, I absolutely love the salt she gave him, like sitting, standing outside the car. Just, I, I love Millie's attitude. Um, Jessica does, uh, is that her name? I always forget. Yeah, oh, Jerrica, pardon me. Does a fantastic job with this character and giving her so much life. But the, just that, that spit and bile that she was just throwing back at him. Just and the whole, him trying to. Keep going. I was like, cause I was gonna say like, literally there's this whole scene was great between the two of them, their dynamic, the way that they just conquered this scene together was one of my favorites. Like it was so good. Just the back and forth, just kind of mm-hmm. subtle jabs, but it wasn't actually affecting either one of them. So that's what made it even greater. I think it was the most entertaining scene we've had all season. Yeah. Uh, I love that like his dropping the act of being German to like throw her <laughs> off her game didn't work. Uh, so he went back into doing like the, okay, I'm going to get under your skin with my Southern genteel. Yep. And she just kept throwing it back at him. Like anytime she, he would say something to try to insult her, she'd be like, oh yeah, cool. Like I care. Just yeah. <laughs> it. Oh, such a treat. We needed that. Uh, especially since going uh, further into the episode, we had to deal with our other Nazi Jagoff who has been tormenting us all season, Travis, and him actually getting what he wants by joining the bloodline, I guess, with the Colonel. Yeah. So, uh, Haley, in what way did your skin crawl in that scene? Okay, so Travis finally got what he wanted and the fact that he has now murdered all three of the men that the Colonel viewed as basically sons and protege she says she quite literally raised them to be what she thought and what she saw out of them I think what really made my skin crawl the most wasn't what I mean yes Travis does but it was almost what she said in the fact of saying like I think I can't remember exactly but she said something along the lines of I knew the fittest would survive and that was just like so telling of the mindset of these people because they truly believed even going back to everything they learned from Hitler that their race was the fittest their race was the best they were superior and the fact that that's so ingrained in their minds that she was using all of this and all of this was just manipulation and a ploy to figure out which one of them was the fittest and the fact that Travis proved himself to her it was just so twisted that's the best way I can say it, it is it was twisted. definitely twisted. I whole, I cannot agree with that statement more. <laughs> I do feel it's for a different matter though. Uh, to me, I disagree that she was kind of like playing them and waiting to see what would happen. I felt like this new circumstance fell in her and she just justified it in her mind. It was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, well, of course the fittest would survive. 
but because I don't understand how she can simultaneously say that and be like, but the pure bloodline is why we survive because yeah. he's not part of this pure German bloodline. He's yeah. not German at all. He's the yeah. American. He's the redheaded stepchild of this group. Yeah. So by being like, well, yeah, you are evidence that our bloodline is the most fit and thus we should endure. Yeah. But he's not. This is what I think frustrates me about Nazis and those who hold these fascist beliefs is they're such hypocrites. Like, There's a double standard killed, to everything. Yeah, he killed two of her best people and she's like, oh, this is a good thing. Like, no, it's not. How are you supposed to endure? No, he killed three of them. To, all right. He killed yeah. three of them, the two brothers and Tobias. And Tobias, right. I forgot there were two brothers. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like the bloodline is supposed to spread and endure and make a name for themselves. But like, if you guys are offing each other, then how's this work with your master plan? It's such bull. Like, the only I, thing that I could say that maybe then she was just in her mind, also how you're saying she's justifying it, that like Tobias and his brothers were weak because they couldn't get the job done. They, because remember, she said that I think she said in last episode, but that she actually sent out Tobias to kill Travis. That was Tobias's mission. And that she thought Tobias was going to come back victorious and having killed Travis. And she was almost shocked that it was Travis, but at the same time, hence the survival of the fittest, the fittest survived, that now she has her answer that Travis is this more powerful being. And by him, basically, he basically unveiled a weakness in the other three so she no longer actually needed them and i think that's why she was able to accept their deaths because she now viewed them as weak yeah and so maybe that ritual of like bleeding into a cup of milk (laughs) and having him drink it was like now he has our pure german blood in him so he's totally one of us now because you drank the the milk and he got a little pink mustache it was adorable (laughs) and weird so oh, yeah, we don't have to keep talking about that. I mean, it had to be brought up because what the hell was that? But yeah. Um, so thankfully, the rest of this episode was much more enjoyable. Uh, it was basically this grand scheme to blow up the facility that was bringing in the poison to the corn syrup and distributing it out into the country. So uh, right off the bat, we get to have a little bit of back and forth with Harriet and Lonnie, who is now my new favorite team. I I think they're great together. I love seeing their dynamic. See, and for me, we've kind of been seeing it. You know, we got to see them go to uh, like just go on a bunch of different you know missions together. So we've seen their very brother sister kind of relationship almost. You know. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but like what really made me happy about this episode and specifically this storyline was this is really the first time in several episodes we got to see the entire Hunters work together. Every single person had a role in this master plan. And for me, that's what made this episode so enjoyable because we got to see them work together as a unit. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't simultaneous micro missions. It was the whole gang in one big uh, scheme. Yep. Loved it. Yeah. It was a blast. I, I did find it a little shocking when they were planning. They're like, okay, well, someone has to pose as Jason, the truck driver, if we're going to sneak into this facility. Uh, and, you know, the very eager Jonah, of course, wants to throw his hat in the ring right all the way. And like, no, 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 you're, 
too young, which is totally viable. And like, nobody really fit the bill. And they went like, what we need is someone who could blend in. And I'm like, hasn't that been Lonnie's thing from the get go? <laughs> like when they introduced him to us with the whole, uh, the, the bond mitzvah ceremony and the lighting the candles and everyone gets a poster. Like he was supposed to be the master of disguise. He's the actor yep. who can blend in every scenario, but he has yet to wear a disguise this entire season. Or really season. blend in, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah. So I was like, when they all like slowly turned to him, I was like, uh, of course, right? Like why, why did this have to be discussed? <laughs> and it made me sad that Lonnie was like, oh, why is it got to be me? I'm like, of course, <laughs> you, man. This is your moment. And like, and because like just the little, you know, kind of side storylines that we've seen Lonnie having to struggle with the fact that he can't get any acting jobs. And now he's about to essentially have the biggest acting job of his life. Yeah. And that was definitely uh, brought to fruition with that discussion he had with Harriet. So after my initial, like, how, of course, why wouldn't you take the job when we get to hear about why he struggles with it uh, as he's first going in and sweating bullets, it, it made sense. And I was like, okay, I get it now. Because yeah, this is a big ordeal for him to pose as a member of the Aryan race, I guess, uh, with a bunch of Nazis who are going to be looking out for that sort of thing. Like a literal factory's worth. Literally every, the whole factory is Nazis. Like he doesn't have one single ally in this whole entire place he's about to go in. Yeah, it's one thing to blend in to uh, the toss salad that is American population. Yeah. Uh, but this is, you're right, it's just... <laughs> it was straight. blonde Nazis. Um, yeah, that was a really tough acting gig, but but Sister Harriet kind of helped him through it. Yep. Really nice. Yeah, I she came back around for me in this. I think... I mean, and the writers really have done a great job of basically forcing me to be skeptical of her and not the most welcoming of any time I see her on the screen anymore. But this episode, um, I came back around for Harriet. You know, I respected the fact that she knew exactly what to say to him to get him through this moment and to kind of have his breakthrough that he did. And I thought it was cool. I thought that it was random that they decided to tell us about his past right now. Um, it felt a little forced and slashed rushed to me that they were just kind of like, okay, shit, we need to have this kind of tie together. So let's just throw this little nugget in there. Harriet will bring him through it. And then here it is. You know, I think it's much more about the, their relationship rather than Lonnie and what he's gone through, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like the writers were trying to show us their relationship more so than just this nugget of Lonnie's history. That was the impression I felt because the, revelation about his father it, I don't want to say it came out of left field because this is the first time he was back in his hometown yeah. why would he bring it up prior as much as he loves talking about his past yeah but it was like oh yeah of course they have to have a heart to heart about it and this has yeah. like it wasn't so much the content of this moment but the fact that they decided to cram Lonnie's entire character arc yeah. into two conversations yeah that's what I'm saying like that's why it felt rushed so to me it's almost it almost has to say more so about the writers and them not wanting this to be a main focal of who Lonnie is but more so they want it to be about his and Harriet's relationship I did appreciate though as the show persisted because it was yeah it was great to have them have that brother sister thing that you as you named it perfect by the way uh 
he goes deeper and deeper and he's really playing the role yep. and pulling one over on these guys. Hella smart on his feet when yeah. he comes up with like whatever he says he had the electricity About the, break it, the yes. breakers or whatever and sparks flying everywhere yes yeah. like brilliant he did a great job but it went further than that and that's what i really appreciated was he's having this uh this lesson and how what he's actually doing <laughs> with mindy and they get yeah. all this interference and he pieces it together and yep. so he's thinking on his feet but not just about being an actor so now he's more than just the actor he yeah. is figuring it out and and following through. Yeah, like I feel like he just really increased his value. Absolutely. Like if he had like draft stock, it just went way up by the <laughs> fact that he was able to do that. Yeah, he's always been my guy, but I will like, I, cause I just love uh, his, uh, Jason, or sorry, Radner, Josh Radner's performance. Um, and you know, he's the fun comic relief guy. So I always like that. But I would, I was feeling like as he went on, I was like, come on, man, like step up, step up. I know you can do it. And he finally did it. Okay. But once, but once he comes through and then he gets called out by, of course, nonetheless, then freaking That's true. creepy Travis, did you think that everything was going to crumble? Like, did you see this going really, really south for Lonnie at the oh, moment? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Because he was, so I finally like, got why he was sweating bullets from the beginning because he's he's, yeah. he's stepping off he's done the job and now he just has to get out yeah. but between him and the door is a floor full of nazis i didn't recognize the colonel how could he yeah like i know what she looks like and i still didn't see her why would you notice salute to her so and then when he honestly got when they're like why, why didn't you salute the colonel and if, even if he'd been light on his feet, like, oh yeah, quick oversight. I didn't realize yeah. you were there. So nice to see you, Colonel. Which one are you? Okay, yeah. I figured out who the Colonel is because she's walking up. Now it's obvious, but still like, is it this? Is it this? Like, what is the salute? Like, what angle do I do this at? Like, <laughs> he, exactly. He had to get everything exactly right by yep. a sheer roll of the dice. Yeah. Uh, also, and he's sweating and he probably looks very Jewish to them. I, there was no way he was getting out of there. Well, and the fact that, I mean, this is just bad, sheer bad luck. And the fact that, let's think about it. How many of the hunters and Travis had come face to face? Lonnie and Travis had just been face to face in the subway when he stabbed him. So yeah. it quite honestly, couldn't have been worse. You know, had it have been Joe or had it have been, um, literally anyone else even i feel like had it have been jonah travis wouldn't have recognized him that easily off the rip but the fact that it was lonnie because they were quite literally face to face recently it was just man bad luck it was absolutely the worst luck um and even with jonah on the other side of the door being like i can see what's happening as long as jonah can rush in there and just pull him out yeah like it, there was the only thing that could have saved him was the factory exploding. So thank goodness that happened. Yeah. Uh, the, he put the stopper on the tea kettle and everything started to go to crap. I am still amazed they didn't just gun him down once they realized something was wrong. Yeah. But I'm grateful he didn't. I'm grateful Joe showed up. Yes. Oh, yes. Joe, goodness. doing what Joe does best. I was really relieved that Joe didn't have another flashback that he was able to come through and this and i also found it poetic justice that all of 
the, or not all of them, but majority of the Nazis went to lock themselves in this basement slash cellar. And then the um, very, you know, chemical weapon that they created was what was burning them alive. And it was just very poetically. That's exactly what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Poetic justice. Yes. (laughs) Yep. It was a, it was like a gas shower. Yep. It was all the things. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that was that was nice. <laughs> I had fun <laughs> watching. Yeah, I was like terrible, oh. but I was like, "Ooh, this is really ironic right now." Mm, mm-hmm. Hate to see you hate to see it, but you don't. Yeah, no, dramatic irony is always fun. In my <laughs> uh, so yeah, as you said, the whole team is working on this thing. Uh, they've been drilling, like Roxy and Joe have been drilling holes in all of the trucks. Yeah. They missed one, but Harriet it was their backup with a rocket launcher this was awesome wait I was gonna say the other thing that struck me in this episode was are you catching kind of vibes between Joe and Roxy because a couple episodes back when Joe was the one who told Roxy he was supposed to actually go get Roxy and bring her back into the fold but instead it was like hey get out of town with your daughter and then in this episode he was kind of the one who stepped Hmm. up for her and was like hey finish doing the holes I'm gonna go inside I got this like you go to safety you know so he Uh, keeps playing this almost like more protective role than to I don't know I might just be reading into it but every time it's like the two of them like they all this whole group cares about each other to a certain extent but at the same time they always do what's best for the group as a whole in order to get the job done but for whatever reason joe has these like blinders when it comes to roxy and he puts roxy first in a lot of situations well okay so let me answer your question first yeah no i did not catch that (laughs) at all uh you laying it out on the table though there's definitely something there i i don't know if it's like a romantic sort of thing because i have no idea how joe expresses romantic interests or Facts. really any kind of emotion. I know he's he's real um, personable with his fellow veterans. Yeah. And I, he does talk to Roxy in the same way uh, where there is a earnest caring. Uh, I can't place why that is. Uh, and I and I and I don't know. I guess very, I just I just feel like in shows that I feel like you kind of, there's a role to that extent written in somewhere that there's like an underlying thing happening between two major characters. And yeah. I don't know, I, I might be reaching, but I just kept getting vibes. And then this was another instance where he was just like, hey, I'm not like, I feel like if it was anyone else, he would have been like, let's finish this job and go get inside and, and help, you know? But in this one, he was like, hey, I got this. You go ahead and you go to safety. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I'm really glad he pointed that out. Uh, it, I mean, it, it could be just the writers want to pair everybody up like they paired Harriet and Lonnie. Fair. Um, but it, it could be something else. It just yeah. might be that these characters uh, have just some bond, whatever, yeah. whether it's romantic, platonic, uh, professional, who knows. But there's, there is something there. And I'm, I'm really glad he pointed that out because it's definitely worth noting. And I just, I'm... I'm I feel like it's at least something... Country that like going into a season two or something that they could develop you know I don't Mm -hmm. think that anything's going to take place next episode or in the immediate future but it's something that I found just interesting in their kind of chemistry well okay so you mentioned season two let's just jump right ahead 
move forward in predictions because this episode, <laughs> uh, it ended with a bang, which yep. is awesome. Uh, but now, it kept going. I, I, while Myers jumped out of the car, like the getaway vehicle, and was like, I got I got to go do a thing. And it, yeah. he said he wanted to cut the head off a snake. And I guess that makes sense. I didn't know how he was going to identify the colonel. Um, yeah. And I was very surprised to see he had the foresight to jump in to the limousine and replace yeah. the chauffeur. And this, uh, there's two questions that came into my mind yeah. during this. Uh, the first one being, do they know each other? Because there was this, somehow he knew who the Colonel was. Mm-hmm. And when she saw him, she recognized him. And I don't know if it's by reputation of, oh, this must be the Meyer Offerman I've been hearing yeah. so much about. Uh, because who else would it be? Or if she literally recognized him the same way that we've kind of been teased with uh, other people. Yeah. See, I, so, I'm i still just on the train of, I still don't know his intentions. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's doing anything at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised if, they somehow have history they know of each other. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all because we still don't even really know her backstory and to how she got in this position, why she's in this position, her power. We don't really know any of that either, you know? So there's still just like a sense of mystery, but I do get why when you were watching it, like there was definitely a vibe. (laughs) I know Mm, that's a weird way to say it in this, Uh, but like there there was a vibe. I don't think it's one of, mutual interest because she no. did pull out a gun that had been sewn into the back seat like really well stashed yeah. and shot him in the head yeah. so the car goes he's been shot uh if not in the head in the face or something very yeah like we just hear a bang and them go off the road basically yeah and at the very least the limousine flips into a river so who who do you, do you think they survive I I feel like they have to have survived at least one of the two of them for the purposes of like if this was the end of the season I would be a little more skeptical but for the purposes of it being um us still having a finale I think they both survive you can't have the finale without having one if not both um so I think that there's definitely going to be some sort of um I don't know it's weird because typically you know in shows when the car goes off the bridge then there's the whole scene of the car sinking and them frantically trying to get out and them trying to bust a window or doing something I think it maybe could even be a scene um of like Meyer figuring out how to get out and like leaving her or having a sense of compassion and saving her um I don't know I think it's going to be somewhere along those lines but at the same time um we I don't want to forget to talk about where Jonah is right now after chasing down Travis. So yeah, this yeah. I wanted this was me making a very long segue into our predictions <laughs> for the last episode because yeah. the uh in, in my notes like the yeah. one thing I wrote about Jonah is that he is going dark like yep. straight which is what we've been up. saying. Yeah. Yeah. So and like and what's interesting is like it's not even necessarily his darkness that's frightening mm-hmm. me at this point for himself. It's the fact that he doesn't have fear anymore. And when a person like loses a sense of fear, they, Mm -hmm. and they think that they're quite literally either indestructible or nothing can hurt them. And they've just lost all sense of like being, 
that's where I feel like he is. And that's what scares me more for him than anything. Well, yeah, that's definitely something of concern. Um, I guess I'm not surprised by it. I expect that of him just because he's still a teenager. Teenagers are reckless, especially (laughs) one with a vendetta. Like, with him throwing up his hand and wanting to jump in on a mission he was not right for, I was, I was like, of course he would. Of course he's the first one to throw it in. So, I, and again, I'm not, I guess I'm not fearful for it because the rest of the party was like, no, no, we, we, there's a better person fitted for this. And trust me, you'll have a place in this party too. Like, now that they've invited him in and made him a member of the team, I feel like he has less reason to be reckless and so while he is still being just as reckless he's at least more accepting of the restraints they place upon him for sure so i guess i this is where you and i disagree because my concern is that he's the fear that i the lack of fear i feel he has is one of his own worth or his his soul his virtue like the fact he's reckless about killing or, yeah. uh, or torturing these people is what concerns me. Yeah. Uh, I, I expect him to join the fray, but I worry that once he's in the mess that he won't be able to find his way back out of it. Yeah. And I mean, we see him, you know, chasing Travis and quite literally going after the most dangerous person he could. Like in the fact that he's running after Travis by himself. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I I agree with you now because yeah. he ran down an alley. Yes. He ran down a dark, secluded alley by himself. Down this psychopath. Like to that an was assassin. the stupidest thing he could have done. <laughs> he's literally you're chasing totally an right. And oh like, God. and the fact that he not only chases down the assassin, he catches up to the assassin. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wow. You know, like he's there. He finally has him. He has this person that has done all these murderous things that has been just the evil spawn of all of this. And he's has him there at gunpoint. They wrestle, you know, and it was kind of cool to see everything Joe had taught him, like come to be, you know, he quite literally yeah. took down an assassin and won basically. But it was crazy to me seeing him just be so conflicted because wasn't this the scene that we finally saw Ruth? come back to his mind oh, god i can't remember i just remember billy being there shouting in his yes. ear was ruth also shouting in the other i ear? think uh, i think I, ruth comes back like she starts to creep back in and then that's what ultimately he decides that he gives in to millie and her voice and the fact that he decides not to take this he doesn't take travis's life he decides to let him go and be with the justice system mm-hmm. and so but I feel like he's going to be really regretful of this decision because, because he yet again hasn't been able to do the hard task or step up to the plate or really like what Meyer was trying to give him the pep talk about, you know, like heroes do what it takes to get the job done, basically. And he wasn't able to do it in this moment. Like he literally had him at gunpoint. All he had to do was pull the trigger and he couldn't. You know, that's a good, another good point because it was earlier in the season where, but not, not much earlier, where he had somebody in his crosshairs yeah. and decided not to take them out. And Myers, yeah. I think, gave him a hard time about it. Um, and well, he regretted oh, it. Right? It was also, um, yeah, it was also, I want to say, I mean, I don't know if this is the same one, but the other one I'm thinking of is how we talked about with Una, uh, the ghost is caretaker. Mm-hmm, oh, he mm-hmm. didn't shoot. He let them run away. Yeah. So, he keeps, you're right, he keeps talking a big game and stepping up to that line, but he never 
crosses it. it. And I guess this was this was if this was three, then then this was the last and final test, hopefully, yeah. where he could decide what kind of person he wants to be, and he yeah. chose the right path. So maybe yeah. as much as I was saying, like Jonah's going full dark, maybe he's yeah. not. Maybe he's going to start uh, remembering who he is and who Ruth is, and have that back. So yeah, it just kind of seems like that. yeah, it kind of seems like when it comes down to it he kind of unfortunately like talks a big game and he walks the walk but he doesn't end up talking the talk he just doesn't you know he wants to think that he's this big bad wolf but he just isn't that's not who he is to his core and for whatever reason he takes that as a weakness and it's not you Mm -hmm. know it's like he's seen he sees the fact that he's not able to pull the trigger the fact that he's not able to take a life as a weakness and it's not. And I think going into this next episode, hopefully we start to see him come to terms with the fact that it's not a weakness, that that's actually what makes him him. And it's very special. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's yeah. a cool prediction. I like that. Trying right, to have so, some positivity here. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah, good. I'm glad you did because actually now that I think about it, the news I was going to share isn't like positive per se. <laughs> Uh, we're doing things a little bit out of order. I'm going to jump into news because uh, there's not a whole lot of news happening after the coronavirus. But for that very reason, I have something to share about uh, Kate Mulvaney, who plays Sister Harriet. So Kate was recently on a uh, radio program in Australia, her home country, uh, called RN Breakfast with Fran Kelly, in which she spoke alongside uh, the artistic director of the Sydney Festival and the founder of the... Uh, Bill Shakespeare Company. Uh, she herself is not just an actress, but she's also a playwright and a screenwriter. Yeah. yeah. So she kind of represented uh, the, how do I, uh, I'll call it like the gig artist in this conversation, along with two people who definitely have a huge stake in the arts and the arts community as the industry. And that was the topic of their discussion was the arts industry and the coronavirus needing more support because uh it's similar to what's going on here in the states uh she feels like that the arts industry has been completely annihilated thanks to the coronavirus and that it's going to be one of the first industries to go when this is all said and done and one of the last to come back now there has been there have been programs to support uh different workers and industries and help bail out different facets of the economy in Australia, but the arts industry has sort of been left out of this conversation. She says uh, that as a contract worker, she is ineligible for their JobKeeper uh, payment, which is, I'm assuming, similar similar to the stimulus checks that we've got here in the States. Uh, They have a program called JobSeeker that she can take part in, but it's a lot trickier than it is for most people. And it's something that looks very impressive on paper, but that, having to live on it for the next two years doesn't really work out yeah. for artists. Wow. She goes on to say, yeah. I thought you had something you wanted to share. So oh, no, I was just, I'm just listening. This is yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, she, she went on in the conversation because they're, they're talking with people who have a lot of numbers and are kind of dropping the stats. But she herself said that like the arts industry is one that Australia can't afford to lose. It's not just like actors and uh, 
digital artists who are selling t-shirts or whatever that it's oh all my all my notes just died um it's performers directors crew workers set builders ticket takers people in the uh, front of house like there's an entire industry it's not hobbyists it's an industry of mm -hmm. artists and the people who work in relation to the arts and whether that's theaters art galleries whatever she did drop the number it's like a 112 billion dollar industry that they contribute to the gdp every year and one of the other guys who like in the shakespeare companies and stuff he was like yeah it's she's not wrong it's 111.7 billion dollars um so uh they went on to discuss uh the, all the, the logistics and the stats and stuff but the interviewer Fran Kelly asked her like, so what is it that you want from the government? She's like, I, we just want to be included. Yeah. We, we've, it's been an oversight. We're seeing now how relevant and important the arts are to people yeah. during this quarantine time. And I know that everyone in the States has been talking about that. Yeah. And you know, what's on Netflix, what's on Hulu, what can you binge? Um, how can you create while you're at home, you know, looking mm -hmm. for something to do and the people who have been making that possible are kind of being left in the wind. Yeah. So I had more to say, but uh, like I said, my notes are shattered and uh, I don't want to keep paraphrasing. So on <laughs> that note, I thank everyone who has tuned in yes. tonight, who has uh, helped uh, make AfterBuzz ESPN of TV talk. We thank you so much for your support. We ask for your further support and liking and subscribing and giving us five stars on iTunes and such. We couldn't do the show without you guys. And I say that in a number of levels. So thank you for being here. And if you want to keep going with this after show, that's great because we're going to be back at the top of the hour with the final episode of the Hunters After Buzz TV after show. Um, yep. Haley, where can people find and support you online? Yes, guys, make sure you tune back in with us. Finale of this incredible show, top of the hour. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram, Haley Graves with two S's, that's H-A-L-E-Y-G-R-A-V-E-S-S. -S. And you can find me on Twitter, Haley one graves 2 And also, speaking of the arts, we have some incredible writers here at AfterBuzz. You can head on over to AfterBuzzTV.com if written content is more of your speed. We have so many great pieces of content. We're doing things like called Quarantine with the Stars, where we're keeping up with all your favorite stars and what they're doing to covering um, different things with the coronavirus to doing health and wellness tips. There's a lot of great stuff. So reading content is more your speed. Go to afterbuzztv.com. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. I totally <laughs> forget to do that all the time. And myself, I actually just wrote two articles for AfterBuzz uh, about how you can still get cable content at home. If you were doing watch parties at your friend's house and now you can't go over there, I've done all the research <laughs> you need. And all my findings are in a very digestible format. After <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of really good content uh, uh, written. So <laughs> not just us, it's not just us rambling. Uh, on that note, you can find me at Kevin Allen says on Twitter, where I ramble in very small doses, <laughs> and on Instagram at Kevin Allen Graham. Uh, like I said, we'll be back at the top of the hour to discuss the final episode. Until then, uh, take a break, get something to eat, uh, pull up some popcorn, because it's going to be a doozy, y'all. Yep. 
Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.